Father, thank you for this day and for this place that we can gather and learn about your word. We pray that you would help us to be faithful in all that we understand and in following in obedience. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so young people, this is your opportunity to take off, and it has been a while since we have been looking at the confession. I, my first Sunday back after a few weeks off, and uh, very much appreciate folks filling in, but let's go ahead and pick back up where we left off, which was in the very middle of chapter 24 on marriage and divorce. And it's providential that we are covering this portion today because our passage, our sermon passage, is uh, focusing on God's marriage to Israel. And that's what is happening there at Mount Sinai. He institutes a marriage covenant. And as we know from Ephesians, uh, our, our marriage relationships, the relationship of husband and wife, is to be a reflection of the relationship between Christ and the church. And so this marriage relationship that takes place at Mount Sinai, this marriage that is the church and Jesus Christ being lived out, uh, draws us into why marriage is such a serious affair. And certainly in our modern day, uh, marriage is it's seen as something that is often light. It's seen as something that is optional. Uh, it's very, very common for people to get married after they've lived together and maybe even had children. Uh, for a while, and often the the purpose of of someone getting married, even after they've had children together, ends up being tax benefits. Uh, we we miss what the scripture teaches us about marriage when we uh, don't focus on its overall reflection of God and His relationship with the church. And so because marriage is a, a living out of that divine relationship, chapter, uh, chapter 24, sections 3 through 6, which, Lord willing, we're going to cover today, really, you, you need to understand that background of what marriage is in order to understand why Westminster takes such a serious position, why, why Scripture, really. Uh, take such a serious position on this. So the first section that we're going to look at, section 3, is that it is lawful for all sorts of people to get married, uh, for all sorts of people to marry who are able with judgment to give their consent. Yet, it is the duty of the believer only to marry in the Lord. And it goes on to, to say 
uh, only to marry in the Lord, and therefore such as profess the true Reformed religion should not marry with infidels, papists, or other idolaters. Neither should such as are godly be unequally yoked by marrying with such as are notoriously wicked in their life or maintain damnable heresies. So, what is an obvious implication for of this principle for single people? Don't date somebody that you wouldn't marry. <laughs> Evangelistic dating is always a bad idea. Uh, date people that are qualified spouses. Uh, and I would say there's a wisdom issue even beyond this basic biblical principle. Uh, there's a wisdom issue uh, in that if you, and, and our confession says there in section 3, that uh, only those who are of the true, let's see, what is, how does it say it? Uh, such as profess the true reformed religion uh, should not marry. So, yeah, it would be Ruth's first husband that was in disobedience by marrying a Moabite. Uh, and then when Ruth says, your people will be my people, that, so, so yeah, I mean, we see there an example of, yeah, this shouldn't have happened. But in the same way that, I mean, Abraham should not have gone into, uh, uh, Hagar. Thank you. Uh, Abraham should not have tried to short-circuit God's promises by uh, listening to Sarah and producing a child through Hagar. Uh, so we see... Okay, so I think what what we need to understand uh, is that both in the Old Testament and in the New, you've got two categories. You've got the people of God and those who are not the people of God. Uh, and the people of God are those who share the faith of Abraham, both in the Old and in the New. That's Paul's point in Romans 4, uh, Romans 4 and 5. Uh, both looking at Abraham and then also at David. It's their faith, not their ethnic identity uh, that, that makes them the people of God. So that's Paul's point in Romans 4, but then he loops us into it by saying, and if you share the faith of Abraham, then you too are the child of Abraham. So, so I think we, we see Israel in its national identity as the people of God in the Old Testament and that's why in order to become one of the people of God, you had to become Israelite. You had to be circumcised. Uh, you had to make yourself ethnically Jewish. 
but then in the New Testament, uh, to become the people of God, it's still that, that washing, that cleansing uh, of the word, but it's through baptism. And so, so I think both in the old and in the new, you've got these two basic categories. You're either in covenant with God or you're not in covenant with God. And, and so I'm not sure if that gets to it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So to, to, to circle back, uh, Section 3 is saying that to, to follow on with, with the illustration that I just gave, you've got the people of God, and you've got not the people of God. And... Uh, I would argue, and, and I've uh, preached on this, when I, uh, Genesis, uh, you know, the, the great sign of apostasy that led to the Noahic flood, where the sons of God looked at the daughters of men and saw that they were desirable. Uh, and, and so I think even back then, you've got this seed of the woman, seed of the serpent problem, and, and not recognizing that we are not to be unequally yoked. Uh, we should not be pulling together, because what's the purpose of marriage? Is the purpose of marriage to make you happy? Thank you. No. <laughs> no. The, the foundational purpose of marriage is what? Procreation and... Right, to reflect Christ in his church, to God said it is not good that man should be alone. Therefore, I will make him a helper suitable for him, and the two shall be one flesh. Uh, these two individuals need one another in order to help one another to reflect the character of God, uh, the character of Christ. And and it's it's when we get off track on that, that we mess everything up. Now, again, I understand because I, I got married when I was 28, I think, 29, something like that. I was later, later in my 20s when I got married. And believe you me, I was burning. <laughs> I, I knew that God had not given me the gift of singleness and I wanted to get married. And because I wanted so badly to get married, there was a great temptation for me to force things. To, to either try to marry someone who wasn't a believer, or to try to marry someone who was a believer, but she and I would have very, very different understandings about the scriptures. Uh, and, and those things, you know, first and foremost, it's are you a believer? Is this person committed to the same standard that you're committed to? Are they a believer? But I would say it makes it more challenging. I wouldn't say it's a sin, but I would say it makes it more challenging in a marriage if you walk into a marriage where the two are not on the same page theologically. 
Uh, it, it makes it much more difficult. One of the things that I've always counseled my daughters when they're in this scenario, or when they uh, in the past have been in this scenario, is are you willing to submit to your husband's leadership on this? Uh, are you willing to let him be the head of the house, and are you willing to go along with what he says on these issues? If you're not, don't don't go out on a second date. Uh, don't don't pursue this at all. Uh, and in the same way, with my son, the thing that I've counseled him is, you need to have this conversation right up front. Uh, these are some things that are critically important to me. Are you willing to go along with this? Are you willing to be taught from the scriptures? Are you willing... Uh, to, to submit on this. Because otherwise, you've got two people that are butting heads at the most fundamental issues, uh, the, the most basic issues of family rearing. Uh, Ms. Vividelli pointed out one of the purposes of marriage is procreation. So right there, as soon as that little baby pops out, does God love him? Well, that's kind of a... <laughs> That's going to be a tension. Uh, if one of you is committed to covenant baptism and one is committed to believer's baptism and, and there's a whole lot of things that come out of that and, and, but, you know, right there at the outset, you're going to have some struggles, uh, if you're not on the same page. These are not gospel issues by any stretch. Uh, they are not gospel issues, but it does make your marriages hard enough, uh, I can, you know, anybody in here who's married will raise their hand and say, yeah, <laughs> marriage is hard enough. It exposes you. Uh, I, I was talking with a couple yesterday, and I was saying, it, when you stand at the altar and you say, I do, you have just opened your heart and invited this person to drive through it with a Mack truck. Uh, they are going to see all of the things that you don't like about yourself. They're going to see all of the things that you're ashamed of. They're going to see all of you. And simultaneously, they've said, and I'm going to stick it out. Uh, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to be with you. And and it's a very vulnerable thing uh, to, to be married. Uh, to another person, yeah, all your pride, all your all your public face that you put on uh, outside the house, all that goes away <laughs> in marriage, because these two people see each other in all of their ugliness, moral ugliness as well as physical, and wake up the next day and do it again, uh, and and so being on the same page is is very very important in a marriage. So, first critical foundation, believers only marry believers. Second wisdom application is you really should be marrying people that line up with you uh, on these essential, these basic, big doctrinal issues. Uh, I'll, I'll give you another example. Another example, real quick. I know... Okay, real quick. Uh, <laughs> How many of you have ever attended a wedding where the preacher preached out of Ephesians 5 or where, you know, just the, the reciting of the vows, the woman was asked, do you promise that you will submit to your husband? And either you kind of went, eh, 
and looked around and wondered who was going to start throwing rocks. Or, you know, how many of you have found yourself in that moment, Ephesians 5, the submission to the husband, and thought, wow, this is awkward. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I can tell you, as a pastor, I have preached that, and I have said that, and I have looked up knowing that there were going to be people that were looking at me going, you patriarchal caveman, (laughs) you ought to be arrested for this. Absolutely. Submitting to one another. You're right. You're right. That is, uh, and, and there are duties of both. Uh, but, I mean, just saying Paul's words there. Uh, yeah, so, so it's not, and, and that's how I think the non, the non-Christian world, but I would, I would go further and say maybe even a lot in the Christian world. Uh, see this as the establishment of the man as the boss. Uh, and this is my house and I will do and you will do what I tell you to do. And, and I don't think that's scriptural at all. Uh, I think what is scriptural is, uh, the, in the same way that the son delights to do the father's will and the father delights to exalt the son and give him a name above every name. In the same way, the wife delights to play the harmony and the husband delights to play the lead and exalt his wife uh, and give her a name above every other name. And that's Proverbs 31, uh, is, is the husband or the wife having a name above every name. Sure. <laughs> and that, that's a great point. Um, to the degree that the spouse is not reflect... So, so okay. I'm not going to get done with it today. <laughs> no, these are good points. Uh, to the degree... So, so... Again, I was talking with a young couple yesterday uh, doing premarital counseling. And I was talking about this issue of of leadership and headship. And I said, I've thrown the leadership card down twice in my marriage. Twice in my 29, I think, years of of marriage. Twice I've said, I'm the leader. You're going to do this. The first was absolutely sinful. It was absolutely stupid. It was, I really wanted a ragged, beat-up pickup truck that I could purchase for $100, and I was going to put it in my garage, and I was going to buy the Haynes manual, and I was going to do a brake job on it, and I was going to repair it. And my wife knew me. She knew that, A, I can't change a light bulb without help, and B, I come up with all these grand ideas and get bored after a week or two of it. And so she really pushed back. She put, this is not a good idea. We're spending money we don't have, blah, 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 blah. I am the leader of this house. This is my decision, and I'm saying we're going to do this. 
And she said, okay. And she never held it over my head. She never rebuked me for it. That speaks to her godliness because that was the stupidest decision that I had made. Well, not the stupidest. It was a big stupid decision. <laughs> I've made worse. <laughs> One of many. It was a stupid decision. And really, I was using my leadership card as cover for my greed, for my pride, for my wanting a toy, for my selfishness. And all of those things aren't Christ-like at all. (laughs) But that was why I threw that leadership card down, was because I wanted this toy. And that was stupid. It was stupid of me uh, to, to do that. The second time I did it was maybe 12 years ago. Yeah, 12 years ago. We are driving through Africa. It's late at night. We have to cross over this river that our hotel, which includes our passports, is on the other side of. There's no going back. I got to get over this river. We start crossing the river, and I feel the back end of our car start floating, and we get washed down the river. We end up on the bank with the water breaking over us. So literally, we are submerged. And water is starting to come in around the doors. And I said to Meredith, open your door and get out. Once you're on the bank, I'll get out. And Meredith, understandably, is freaking. And she goes, no, 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 I don't want to leave. She's convinced I'm going to get washed down the river. She's never going to see me again. She's in the middle of Africa. It's like blah, 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 blah. And I turned to her and I said, do not argue with me. Get out now. And she did. And I got out and everything worked out, obviously, just fine. That leadership card (laughs) was different in its character from the first leadership card. The first leadership card was absolutely self-centered. The last leadership card that I threw down, the last time I threw down the leadership card, it was, it was a lifetime or, you know, 20 some odd years of trust, of her understanding me and just, you know, in this crisis, somebody's got to be the point man and you got to do what I say regardless of what you think about it. Because if we're sitting here and arguing about whether you get out of the car or not, we're both dead. Uh, you got to do what I tell you to do, and you got to do it now. <laughs> and so I think one is different from the other. Uh, and, and I think you're right. The reason that we blow it is because all too often our leadership card is much more like my first one, which is selfish, greedy, childish, uh, a, a person who has to declare that they're the smartest person in the room isn't. And the person who has to declare that they're the leader isn't. <laughs> uh, that's just, you know, how it goes. <laughs> but. Oh, sure.
Yeah, and, and yeah, I think you're dead right. We, we need to give the context. And, and that context requires, I mean, that's why I do a premarital counseling, <laughs> uh, is, is it requires a lot, uh, there. Okay, so we're obviously not finishing, uh, the next two sections, Lord willing, we will take up next week. Uh, yes, sir. That's a good question. Is it important to have children, or is that just a minor part of what a marriage is? So, yes, it is. It is important to have children. Uh, God doesn't bless everybody with children, and so sometimes people aren't able to have children. But one of the purposes for marriage that God gives is to have children uh, and to raise are a godly family. Uh, that's what our, uh, our blah, 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 what do you call it? Uh, our, our Book of Church Order, the, the classical marriage, uh, you know, dearly beloved, we are gathered here together in the sight of God and these witnesses, that, that thing that you often hear. Uh, it says, uh, one of the purposes of marriage is to procure a godly seed. And, and I like that language because it borrows from Genesis, uh, and, and the promise of the seed. So yeah, it is, it is part of what marriage is for. Yeah, just pragmatically speaking, <laughs> we're one generation away from no more people if <laughs> we don't, not do it. All right. Well, let me uh, let me go ahead. Good questions, good uh, interaction. But let me go ahead and uh, close with prayer. And Lord willing, we'll close this chapter next week. Father, we do thank you that in our marriages, as broken as imperfect as they are, we still get to reflect that beautiful dance of Christ and His bride. Uh, we pray that in our marriages, you would. Help us to be that agent of sanctification in our spouse's life and welcome them being that agent in our own. And for our single young people, we pray, Lord, that you would keep them from temptation, keep them from pragmatism, uh, and help them to wait upon you, knowing that your timing is perfect. Uh, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.